It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Howdy, welcome. This is Football Social Daily, a daily podcast all about the Premier League. I'm Jim Salverson and the bread mopping up the top flight gravy today comes in the form of Marley Anderson and Nar McCorn. Hello, boys. Hello, everyone. Am I the crust bit? Am I the end? Oh, <laughs> if you want to be, be the crust. Do you want to be the middle or the crust, Marley? Uh, I'll be I'll be the good bit. Now now can be the bit that gets chucked in the bin every week. Yeah, it gets oh, fed to the You ducks. don't eat your crust. That's why you don't have curly hair, Marley. No one wants oh, the I crust do. on a loaf. <laughs> <laughs> You've been eating too many. <laughs> right today on the show we've got former top flight keeper Fulham Forest and Borough hero Mark Crossley joining us on the podcast. He didn't just play in the Premier League, of course. His career started right back in the old First Division under the late great Brian Clough, and he's got some cracking stories to tell about that period of his goalkeeping career. We're going to be chatting to him later on the podcast. We're also going to be talking Premier League comebacks, players who have left their clubs as heroes only to return a few years later with much more muted success. That's the general rule anyway, and Gareth Bale is demonstrating that perfectly with his Spurs comeback at the moment. So if the rule is never go back, are there any exceptions to that rule? We'll discuss that later on the Football Social Daily podcast, but we're going to kick off today with some of the rumours floating around in the newspapers. As always, during the international break, there's a couple of juicy stories relating to transfers and players' futures and whatnot as the papers search for something to print and pretty much SEO gold in terms of headlines at the moment and clickbait is the future of Haaland at Borussia Dortmund. And the latest news, according to the Sunday Express there, is that Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel has asked Roman Abramovich to dip into his pocket to buy the player, but also at the same time offload Timo Werner as some kind of swap deal with Borussia Dortmund. I mean, Haaland has been linked with every single club in the Premier League over the last few months, I think, Niall. Mm. Can you see Chelsea as a potential likely destination? Because when we're talking about the clubs that are interested in Haaland, we're talking about the Giants, we're talking about your Manchester Cities, we're talking about the Real Madrids, the clubs that really do have endless supplies of money. And I don't think Chelsea are in that category. I, I don't say, think they're in that bracket at the, the moment. The way you've teed that up makes it sound like Chelsea aren't one of those top clubs well, that not. could get him. They're not at the moment, are they? So you think that City are a more likely candidate to sign Haaland than Chelsea? I think if you're a player like Haaland, you look at Manchester City as a team you will go to and be guaranteed to win trophies. I don't think you look at Chelsea the same way. That's really interesting because I think Chelsea are one of those contenders just purely because of the backing they've got. And you mentioned Roman Abramovich there. Depends, I think that uh, that's the money, key. If it's money, yes. Because well, they'll pay money, the wages and they'll pay the transfers. But in terms of winning stuff, Jim, you're a player. Jim you've came for a long way from uh, from back in Chelsea to win this year's Premier League. I still think they... I, <laughs> well, I, I, I forgot about that. I think they could do well next season. But if you're a player looking at these clubs, if you're a player looking at these clubs and you're going, I want to win something, who would you pick? Manchester City or Chelsea? Well, obviously, I think Manchester City would be fair. I mean, that felt like then a section of the Andrew Marr show where you've backed a politician into a corner and you've got him to concede, actually. Um, No, on that front, yeah, definitely Man City are more likely to win trophies at this point because they're still in contention for a quadruple Mm. in March. So 
remarkable, really. So, yeah, definitely. And I think that the natural links will be drawn there because his dad used to play for Manchester City. I think, interestingly, that link with his dad and playing for City also somewhat makes the Manchester United links interesting as well because let's not forget Roy Keane practically ended his dad's career Mm. in a a Manchester derby with a shocking challenge and you know the question marks are would you really want to go and play for a side that ended your dad's career I know that's a time gone by and you know there's no room for sentiment in football as the old saying goes but I, I certainly think that there's an interesting debate to be had around that as for Chelsea Chelsea have won a Champions League, something Manchester City have never done. Chelsea have established themselves as a genuine Premier League heavyweight in the time that Roman Abramovich has been at the club. And that would have been at the time, interestingly, that Erling Haaland was growing up. He would have seen Jose Mourinho's Chelsea, would have seen Ancelotti's Chelsea, would have seen even Antonio Conte's Chelsea of just a few years ago, whilst he was still a teenager, winning trophies. So I don't think it's fair to suggest that he would look at Chelsea as a side who have kind of fallen from grace because I think in the time that he's been growing up watching football, Chelsea have always been there. They've always been a dominant force. They've always been successful. And if you look at the trophy count that Chelsea have had since Abramovich took over, it's absolutely remarkable. And I know they've got this hire and fire strategy, Mm. which is starting to get on the nerves of the supporters and certainly neutrals find it difficult to have sympathy for Chelsea with the way that they treat their managers. But it's a system and a method that works. So... You know, there are plenty of questions to be said about Chelsea, but if one of them is they're not heavyweight and they're not in contention to sign Erling Haaland, I would completely disagree with that. I think they are in contention purely because of the financial backing they've got. They are a big club in the Premier League. They are a big club in Europe. They're still in the Champions League. And let's not just forget that they are in the Champions League quarterfinals. And there are plenty of people saying now under Thomas Tuchel, they've got a chance of winning this season's Champions Mm. League. And how much would that change Erling Haaland's opinion if he is going to make a move in the summer? So I guess it's still a very much up-in-the-air situation that we'll have to wait and see what happens. I put a fiver on Chelsea to win the Champions League a few weeks ago. <laughs> right, so so hang on. They're not a big club. Still, still small time. You backed them to win the Premier League <laughs> and now you've backed them to win the Champions League. Not the biggest League. club in London, are they? I You're mean, trying that's, that's the, the psychology, psychology thing, thing, aren't The you? biggest club in London. Yeah. I mean, what about the player that could potentially go the other way, Marley? Because Thomas Tuchel, reportedly, according to this story in the Express, wants to offload Timo Werner, who has had... It's been a weird season for him, his first season at Chelsea, because he's not been amongst the goals. But I really, when I've watched him, I kind of, I sense there is a player in there and I sense he could do well. He's just short of those goals. So, and considering the faith that Tuchel has shown in Werner this season, he's given them a lot of game time since he came in. Are you surprised that maybe he's looking to offload him? Uh, I don't I don't necessarily think he's he's wanting to offload him. I just think he knows that he's the best fit for a potential swap deal because if you manage to pull this off, Dortmund are getting uh, a striker that scored 20-plus goals in a lot of seasons in the Bundesliga for a team which is similar to Dortmund in terms of like the way they play and the way their they sort of league position is, what they're fighting for, things like that. So sometimes I think... He's he's not necessarily looking to sell Werner, but he makes the most sense in a make weight in a deal, um, because Dortmund are likely to be most interested. You know, Dortmund have got a big task on their hands if they do sell Haaland in in replacing him, so they need to um, they need to get that right. And I think Werner comes Werner in the Bundesliga comes with a guarantee that he'll score goals, um, because he's done it at Leipzig and he's done it for a few years and hence why his price was 50 million quid or whatever it was in the summer when he went to Chelsea so I don't necessarily think he's he's trying to sell him I just think this this deal makes the most sense and if if you can tempt Dortmund by by offering them a ready-made replacement then I think they're hoping that that puts them to the front of the queue Would you be tempted if you were Timo Werner to take that move back to the Bundesliga, considering how things have gone in the Premier League for his first season. Like I say, he's not been poor, he's just not scored the goals. Uh, no, I, I'd stick it out. I think he's got enough... Um, I think he's he's got enough promise to to prove that he might score goals. Um, I think one season's tough to uh, to judge a player on. And, you know, Chelsea have had a few new players, two, uh, two managers in that season... Um, three or four different formations under Lampard and then two goals played the back three and then the three up front and then the one up front and the two up front and there's been a lot of things to get used to so I would, if I was him, I would I would try and stick it out if it was up to him, completely up to him then I would say, 
you know, I'm going to give it another two or three years here and then I can always go back to Germany because there's always going to be interest in him because there's always that guarantee that he's going to score in the Bundesliga and there's plenty of teams that can afford him. So, you know, Dortmund could probably afford him in two or three years' time if he was coming up for sale. So could someone like like Leipzig, for example, or Leverkusen or someone like that. So there's always an out, out for him. It doesn't need to be now or never. So I would stick at Chelsea if it was up to him. But also if I was Chelsea and there was a chance of you know, a remote chance of signing Erling Haaland, I would be throwing everything I could at it. Let's pick a story now from Football Insider, which I always approach stories on Football Insider with an element of caution because quite often the headlines bear no resemblance to the actual stories that <laughs> are there within. There's always a crisis or a shock or something like that <laughs> going on. Uh, but it is Newcastle United, so you wouldn't put a crisis or a shock too far past them and apparently Miguel Almiron's been making some comments during interviews whilst he's been on international duty that have upset his teammates have you be, have you seen this one Marley can you fill in the blanks here a little bit <laughs> I haven't <laughs> well, let me let me, um, let me do my best do you know because... what I, I haven't but he's made these comments before so if you go on t- tell me what he said well, and I'll tell you if it's exactly what he said six months ago as well apparently so the, the, this is this is what's upset his teammates that he'd like to play in a team that fights more is one quote and the other quote is that he's happy at Newcastle and apparently those quotes have upset his teammates in some way so that's come out of the uh, Paraguayan press oh the ever trusted Paraguayan press um <laughs> yeah. yeah uh no he said literally the exact same thing uh back in the last international break which i think was november Mm. Um, there doesn't seem to be too much wrong with what he's saying I don't think I think if you look at Newcastle you go they could have a little bit more fight about them and then he's saying he's happy at the club I don't understand why that's a controversial statement it's not um, that's why I don't really believe the story to be honest I don't I don't think that if you said what you said and you're playing for the club you are I don't think the players you know your teammates can turn around and go oh well he's not fighting for us because you know there's more <laughs> there's more problems at Newcastle than um, just Miguel Almiron possibly wanting the club to do a little bit better. I mean, there's there's plenty of players in there that aren't playing well. And he's um, the only they, one that gives 100% every week. You can never level exa- at yeah. Miguel Almiron that he doesn't run for the team. Exactly. He's, he's one of the only ones who you can count on. Um, yeah, he doesn't have the most quality, but, you know, who does in that team? So, you know what I mean? It's it's just, uh, it's, it's the same as what he said, and I don't think you can, you know, let's say you're... I don't know, Jamal Lascelles, and you, you're reading the Paraguayan press and you're saying, oh, well, Miguel's not up for it. I don't, I don't think you can have a you can have a, a real problem because you see him every week running more than everyone, closing down, trying to win the ball back, trying to do something. And I think if you're then looking at Almiron and saying, well, he's not he's not trying hard enough, I think you're just looking for an excuse. Mm. Um, and even if he'd said, I'd like to play for a, a club in the top six one day, you can't... There's nothing... You could say about Newcastle now that you'd that you'd say that you'd be annoyed at a player for because everybody knows we're not a very good club. So if you're looking for a Paraguayan lad who didn't exactly grow up watching Tino Asprilla bang the goals in in '96 or whatever it was, you know he, he has no. It's not his end goal to play for Newcastle, and you've got to keep your eyes open with with things like this. You've got to understand that players don't grow up dreaming of playing for Newcastle when they grew up in. In uh, in Paraguay, in South America, in France, in Germany, all the, all these places, you know, Paul Dummett did, Andy Carroll did, but you know, these players aren't, you know, they, they don't come along very often. You know, the the local lads type of thing. You know, mm. football isn't about that anymore. It's not very localized. It's very international. So you've got to be looking at Almiron and understanding that he'll want to go and play somewhere else one day. And fair play to him if 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 I was a player and I was playing for a a club who was fighting relegation might go down, you know, 14th, 15th, 16th. At one point, you would be saying, well, I'm one of the better players in this team, so maybe I can go if the if the club's not showing any sign of progress and any clear plan to, to improve in the future. And when you walk in every week or twice a week that we seem to be training these days and Steve Bruce is there, <laughs> you know, trying to trying to you know, dream up a new formation and saying he's going to use Paul Dummett as a left wing back or something random that he's going to save us in the last eight games. Then you say, well, maybe this guy's not the greatest and he's showing no signs of being sacked. Um, so maybe I'll go. And I don't think you can really um, hold that against a player, to be honest. Is there an element of, for want of a better phrase, stirring going on here, Niall? Because this is international break. 
shorter stories, Newcastle are in crisis. So, and when a club's in crisis, newspapers like just churning up a little bit more crisis, don't they? It does sound a little bit like recycled quotes, if what Marley's saying um, is right, which I'm sure it is about the fact that it sounds very similar to something which came out six months ago from a similar source. But, oh, goodness me, every international break, we have to say this, one of us does on the podcast, lost in translation. It's a real thing when it comes to quotes Mm. in football. Translating languages from the native language into English can sometimes bring up discrepancies. There's a little bit of nuance that needs to be had there. I mean, you know a little bit of Spanish, don't you, Jim? So if I said to you, tienes buenos huevos, that means you've got nice eggs. So if you made me a plate of eggs, I'd be like, great, tienes buenos huevos, you've got nice eggs. In Spanish, that means you've got nice testicles. So if you translated that back to English... Oh, which is it? Are you liking me eggs and my testicles? (laughs) (laughs) We've got to be clear. (laughs) We'll go with eggs for now. Um, (laughs) Certainly, there's one of those things where just a simple word like eggs in Spanish, Mm. um, in Spanish, that can be used as a term to describe someone's (laughs) testicles. I'm really worried about how I've been ordering breakfast when I go on holiday as well. (laughs) I think in the context is important but certainly it's something so simple as that that a word just like eggs can be translated into something mm, of offensive course. in another language and it's just those cross-cultural things that sometimes can be can be difficult so you know certainly when countries are picking up uh, or English press are picking up on quotes that have come out from players on international duty and then they've banged it through Google Translate or Babelfish or whatever mm. and it's come up with certain things that maybe sound slightly more jarring and and obtuse than really they actually are i think that always causes a problem but it happens every single international break normally as paul pogba that it happens to um but certainly there's evidence of this every single international break and this is probably a little bit of an element of that i think as well we're going to go with a transfer story now that has broken over the last couple of hours from the usually pretty reliable david ornstein this is a story that you spotted niall that liverpool look like, well, are certainly trying to solve their centre-back crisis at the moment. Who yeah. is it they're looking at? Well, RB Leipzig, their centre-half, Ibrahima Kanate. So David Ornstein, as you say, Jim, writes for The Athletic, uh, is usually pretty reliable, particularly when it comes to Arsenal news. I, I don't know too much about Liverpool news, but normally he's bang on the money. So it's a €40 million Euro deal. He's 21 years old. He's a centre-back who plays alongside Dyer Upamecano, one of your favourite players, Jim. Yep. Um, and obviously, Upa Meccano's on his way to Bayern Munich. That was a deal that was announced, I think, in January for a contract to begin at the end of the season when he moves to Bayern. And his partner at the back is Ibrahima Kanate. And obviously, at the moment, Liverpool have got their issues with injury when it comes to the likes of Van Dijk and Joe Gomez both being out. Joel Matip seems to be made of, I don't know, stained glass or something because he just can't seem to stay fit. Uh, they signed two players, didn't they, in January? Ben Davies and Ozan Kabak but I haven't seen Davies play yet. I don't no, know if I he's feel even... a little bit sorry for him, actually, because no one ex- I, from the outside looking in, no one really expected him to play a major part, but he's not featured at all. It doesn't really seem like there's any intention. He's there purely for backup. I think he's probably going to go out on loan in the summer to a championship club or just join rejoin a championship club. It did feel very much like a stopgap at the time. And Ozan Kabak was the other one who's featured a lot more. Mm. But obviously, that was like an emergency six-month loan deal until the end of the season. And uh, it seems to have worked out for now. There's no obligation to buy in that deal. It's just an, uh, an option to buy. So they can send him packing back on his way to Germany if they fancy it at the, end of the de- uh, at the end of the loan deal. And it certainly looks like that might be the case that Ozan Kabak will go back to Germany and they'll bring in um, this fella, Ibrahima Kanate. So, yeah, I, I just wonder what this means now for next season for mm. Liverpool. I mean, this is a guy in Kanate who's played at centre-back for, for Leipzig this season. And Leipzig have done really well in the last two seasons. And he's obviously forged a great partnership with Upa Meccano, who's been touted as one of the best centre-backs in Europe. Manchester United after him, Chelsea after him, lots of other clubs as well interested in him over the last couple of seasons. So I just wonder whether that means that he's going to try and muscle his way into a start in mm. 11 spot, whether that means that they don't think Gomez or Van Dijk will be fit enough to start as a pair next season. You need four good centre-backs, don't you? Definitely. For a Premier League team, you need four strong centre-backs. Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, even if it isn't, a case of him coming in to start and him sort of being back up 40 million euros now mm. I think is the going rate for a decent player I think that is that's that's the 20 million of years gone by the 10 million of years gone by before that so I think it's fair enough and I think Liverpool fans can get quite excited that they're seeing the board actually dip into their pocket mm. and spend more than 2 million and 5 million spending 40 million like they did with Van Dijk when they spent 75 and Alisson when they spent 60 showing a little bit of intent which is great 
We're not going to pretend we know a load about this player because I don't think any of us do. But Tom Vorville, who is the analytics guy for The Athletic, is quoted as describing him as an extremely raw but promising young centre-back. On paper, he has all the tools to become one of the best in Europe. As you say, he is 21. It fits the criteria that Liverpool seem to have, Marley, in terms of recruitment, doesn't it? It's not... A fee that's going to absolutely break the bank, as Nar says. It's pretty much the going rate nowadays. But he's a player who should also be an investment for the club because he, if he does reach his potential, he could be a 80, 90 million pound Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, um, if you can nurture that raw talent into, you know, a, a very competent centre back, then, you know, in two or three years, he'll be worth more than you paid for him. So, you know, it's a win-win if you then sell him on. If you, you know, in a couple of years' time, if you miss out on the top four, or, you know, something goes wrong in his in his sort of development, you can possibly sell him on for for a little bit more than you paid for him because, you know, the way the market is. You know, nobody was worth £100 million five years ago and now you'd say around the world there's probably 10 or 15 players that would go for £100 million plus. So you're saying £40 million for a, for a centre-back is pretty much the, the going rate now. Um, you know, it'll probably be 60, 65 in the coming coming years and Harry Maguire won't be the, the most uh, expensive defender in the world anymore when somebody moves. Um, and, you know, it's... Yeah, it's just the way things are going. So I think it's smart. It's, it's smart to get... Um, young centre-back if they do if they can get him I think Kavak's done okay um, don't think he's the best centre-back by any means but you know if you can get him for 18 million then I think they might be more tempted by that in the summer to be honest I think the the fee the option is 18 million so maybe they'll go down that uh, route as well and it's easier to buy from Schalke who are, uh, who are being relegated as well so um, maybe they'll go down that route but if not Konate you know plays at a higher level, he's played in the Champions League this year, um, he's played for a team that's trying to, to topple Bayern and not not succeeding, but you know, at least uh, at least having a go at the sort of top end of the league. So maybe his mentality is a bit better than uh, somebody who's been, you know, batted from pillar to post every week by like Ozan Kabak has this season. But yeah, it's um it's uh, seems like smart business, so fair enough. And I think Leicester as well. If you look at Leicester City, they paid forty million euros for Wesley Fofana. And Is look he forty million, yeah, thirty six and wow. a half million. Well, about about it, thirty to thirty five million. It so forty he's million euros. Money, but it's yeah. I mean, but that, like I say, and like Marley says, certainly a couple of seasons ago, centre backs were the flavour of the month, weren't they? Mm. You know, everyone was desperate for a centre back, and you know, Maguire went for eighty five, and Van Dijk was seventy five, and. You know, Manchester City were reluctant to spend too much money on a centre-back to replace Vincent Company, which they desperately needed to do. Um, and then they've signed um, Ruben Diaz, who's obviously been absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, I think for a decent centre-half, you're looking at good money. I mean, look look at how much Rio Ferdinand went to Manchester United for from Leeds back in 2000, I think it was. Mm. So that was over 20 million quid, which at the time was just an astronomical amount of money. So actually, you know, looking on 20 years, uh, 40 million euros for a Defender who's just turned 21, I don't think that's too bad, especially if you can get good value out of him, like Marley says. Potentially exciting signing for Liverpool. We're going to talk goalkeepers next, and we're going to be speaking to former top flight keeper and Nottingham Forest legend. Yep, they were once in the top flight. Mark Crossley, he is on (laughs) Football Social Daily next. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Delighted to welcome to the podcast today, former Nottingham Forest, Middlesbrough, Fulham goalkeeper, to name just a few. There's loads I've missed off that list. Mark Crossley. How are you doing, Mark? Afternoon, Jim. Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, Let's start at Nottingham Forest because it's where you made your name. 300 plus appearances and a bit of a cult hero at the club as well. I assume that's the team that you still feel the closest affinity to. Do you find it disappointing to see them where they are now, this club with this huge fan base, huge potential, but struggling to get back into the Premier League? Yeah, uh, 393 appearances in total, uh, including League Cup. And it was before the Premier League, actually. So I'm showing my age there. It was, uh, I signed in, uh, I made my debut in uh, '89, and obviously Premier League started in '92. So, but it was like the old Premier League, we call it that anyway. Mm. But 
It's been a long old grind. 1999 was the last time Forest were in the Premier League. So it's a long time. Uh, and each year, uh, supporters, myself included, think, you know, maybe this is going to be the, be the year. But there's been that many managers and that much turnaround in ownership that you just can't see where it's going to come from now, unfortunately. I know a couple of Nottingham Forest fans and their attitude whenever a new owner or a new manager comes in is, this is going to be the one. This is going to yeah. be the turnaround we need. Do you share that? I do, yeah. Because having spent 13 years at the football club, I am still a fan. They are the team that I mainly look out for because they gave me my big break in football, Brian Clough, mm. all them years ago. So you're bound to have you know, some kind of affinity with the club. And I certainly have. And I still get to games. I sit with the fans. I complain like the fans complain <laughs> because it's just frustration that such a big club and with such great history finds itself languishing down near the bottom of the championship mm. at the moment. So it's not very pleasing at the moment. You mentioned Brian Clough there, who is obviously one of the cult heroes of not just Forrest, the game in general, absolutely legendary yeah. manager. You played under him for a few seasons. How did you find him as a man? How did you find him as a boss? He was one of the greatest fellas I've ever met in my life, entire life. He didn't just teach me or coach me how to play football, but taught me about life skills in general. You could always say, and most players say, he was like a second father to them. He knew when to give you a kick up the backside when you needed it. He knew when to put an arm around your shoulder and give you some loving, which he did very often. He didn't give that appearance, but he was a very loving man indeed. And um, I had six years working with him. And without him, I wouldn't be the human being I am today because we all have our fathers to, to guide us along and parents as such. But to have someone like him to guide you through years from being 18 up to 24, making my name in football with him. I just, I love talking about him. That's why I'm on the after dinner circuit and I, and I, and I'm very, very busy because no one gets bored listening to what Brian Clough had to say. So, <laughs> um, it is true though, is it? You know, he was that popular in interviews and there's that many stories that you can tell. I took it onto the after dinner circuit and it's just gone absolutely well. It, we've been in COVID, haven't we? So, mm. it hasn't been, but. From September, October, November, I haven't got a Thursday or Friday free at the moment. So it just shows what how popular he still is. And hopefully I'd like to call myself a good, good after-dinner speaker as well. So there you go. We all know about the story when he first came into Forest, how he took the keeper at the time down a peg or two, wearing his green jumper, saying, I'm the only number one at this club, <laughs> all that kind of thing. Did he ever yeah. take that kind of approach with you where he felt like he needed to bring you back down to earth? Oh, very much so. I made my debut. He gave me my debut in on October the 26th, 1988 against Liverpool. And I was only, I was only young. I was only 18. And I, I didn't know that I was going to make my debut. He'd rang my parents up and told them to get down to the game that I was going to play that night against Liverpool. But what, they said, whatever you do, don't tell him because he'll absolutely crap himself. <laughs> um, and, and he's right. And, I, and he told me at seven o'clock that I was playing 45 minutes before kickoff. So that was that was a brilliant, brilliance behind his man management skills mm. for, for one. But I played the next two games after that as well, before it was then time to, he realised that he'd got someone that could handle the situation, a young goalkeeper. He didn't, he didn't have to worry about it, uh, signing another goalkeeper because I would be the one that would then step into Steve Sutton's shoes when he, when he was about to move on. Mm. But I played against Coventry and he obviously seen in me that I was getting a little bit too big for my boots. And basically, to cut a long story short, his son, Simon, had a, had a Sunday league team in Division 5 of the Derbyshire Sunday League and they hadn't got a goalkeeper. So playing against Coventry on, in my third game on the Saturday in the FA Cup, after the game, Cluffy said to me, where do you think you're going? And I said, I'm going home. And he said, well, I'd like to see you at my house tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Bring bring your boots and it would help if you bring your gloves as well. So I thought, well, for a start off, I didn't have a clue where he lived, so I don't know how I'm going to get to his house. But I made a few inquiries. I managed to get a lift to his house on the Sunday morning. I had no idea why I was going. But when I got there, he informed me that his son, Simon, was the manager of a team called AC Hunters in the Derbyshire Sunday League and they hadn't got a goalkeeper and I was the one to fill in for the goalkeeper. 
having played against Liverpool, Newcastle and Coventry, FA Cup and the old first division, he made me play for his son's team. <laughs> the team got fined £50 for playing a ringer and lost the, lost the points on the day. And because they lost the, the, the points on the day for playing a ringer, he took the £50 out of my wages at Nottingham Forest <laughs> to, pay the, to pay the fine. <laughs> wow. That was my kind of introduction to say, don't get too big for your boots, young man, because this is what happens. Was there any, ever, ever any hes- hesitation in when he said, no. get, get your boots and gloves on your playing? Was it just, he's the gaffer? I thought it was a bit of a wind-up to begin with, but like when I went to his house, his wife uh, was answered the door and, and I was talking to her in the kitchen and, and Brian came down five minutes later and it was a bit surreal. Like, he didn't ask the question he told you. So, and uh, uh, Cluffy did a lot of that. He never asked, he never asked the question. You was told what to do mm. and you either abided by the rules or you, or you was off. You was somewhere else. But you got used to that. Mm. So I got told that I was playing in this game. So it was like, at, at first, I must admit, I thought it was a wind-up. But then when I actually got in the car with Simon, we drove to the, the ground where we were going to play. It was an absolute shambles. And we were getting we were getting changed in the in the same dressing room as the opposition we were going to pay, play against. And a couple of players from the opposition recognised me. They thought it were all a wind-up. And, and it just went on from there, really. And I hardly touched the ball in the game. They could have actually played without a goalkeeper. It was that one side of the game. But that was his way of just saying, I'm the boss. This is the rules. What I tell you to do, you do. And if you don't like it, you go and play for somebody else. And it was simple as that. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, I ended up playing for the Sunday League team. And uh, I do Cluffy's voice and stuff, you see. So I take him off. He had four nicknames for me, Cluffy. He used to call, call me Barnsley, which is where I originate from. He used to call me imbecile. He used to he used to call me shit house, which was his favourite one. And when I got in his team as a young lad, he he started to call me jigsaw. So leading up to these this game for the Sunday League team, he'd started to call me jigsaw. So I've be, always been the type of person that hang on a minute, why is he calling me that? I need to go and find out. And and I'm always determined to go and find these things out. So to get to see Cluffy, you had to go through his secretary at the time, Carol. Mm. And always a good time to go and see him was on a Monday morning, early doors, before training, after he'd won on a Saturday. So that time came. I went to see Carol. She rang his office. He invited me down to his office and I walked in. And as I walked in the door, he had his rugby shirt, green sweater, you know, his normal attire. And I'm stood there. I'm a, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit scared. And he looked at me and he said, what can I do for you? <laughs> so I said to him, well, that's why I'm here, boss. Like all these nicknames you keep calling me, I don't mind all the others. It's part and parcel of football. I understand that. Can you explain to me why you've started to call me Jigsaw? He looked at me again and he said, every time the ball comes in the box, you go to bloody pieces, son. <laughs> so that was it. End the conversation. At least now I know why he calls me Jigsaw. Uh, he probably wants me to be a bit more demanding in the box. So, And that was his way. And that stuck in my mind. What a footballing education that was. And obviously, I mean, the fact you were playing Sunday League football and a few years later you were pulling on the number one jersey for Wales, I guess, shows kind of how that education helped you through that. We've obviously got the European Championships around the corner, international break at the moment. How do you think Wales are going to do? And what would be a good result for Wales in the Euros? Would it be getting out of the groups? Would it be going out a little bit further? I mean, Italy, Switzerland, Turkey in the group. So it's not a group of death, but it's certainly a challenge. Yeah. um, I've done a lot of commentary on the games leading up to this. And it's a shame that Ryan's not there on the sideline. Obviously, there's other things going on. Mm. They're in good hands with Robert Page, who's been alongside Ryan all the way through. Now, this team is organised, fit, good mixture of the youth and experience, which you can't beat, led by Gareth Bale, Ramsey if he's available. So if Wales can get the best 11 on the pitch, they can compete with anyone. And I really mean that. And that's without mm. being biased. Take away a few of those and, and, 
And what I've noticed is it can be a little bit, little bit of a struggle. But they're a good team. They're organised. They play the same system all the time. And if they don't get past the group stage, for me, it'd be a disaster. Right. So the aim has to be, for me, minimum quarterfinals. Is there good performance in recent tournaments where they have succeeded and they have done well? Is that almost a, a bit of a burden upon them? Because now you half expect them to go a little bit further. Yeah, they've become a, they've become a team and a group of players, and you can go all the way back to Gary Speed. God bless him. He took Wales to a different level. He started he started this. Chris Coleman then took over from him, carried it on, and on and on. Set, get get to a sem, semi final of a major tournament. Ryan uh, came in, struggled a little bit to begin with, but the signs were there under Gary and Chris. The signs were there that. This was only a matter of time before it came back, and it has done. Mm. It's come back, and it's credit to Ryan that he stuck out. He could become under. I remember him coming under pressure at one stage where he, he weren't winning games, but now I, I don't know the, the past what the record is, but I know it's very good. Mm. And they played against some top teams and really good side, and they now become. It's interesting because they'll be playing teams like Turkey and people like that, and they would always be underdogs going back years when I played. Yeah. yeah. Now they're well. Now, now they're favourites. They're favourites to win them type of games, uh, and it's because of the players that they've got. Simple as that, really. Our focus on the podcast tends to be more towards England, and I guess if we're focusing on your expertise as well. There's a big debate amongst England fans at the moment about who should be the number one. Jordan Pickford currently has the jersey, but he is seen by many to be prone to mistakes every now and again. Nick Pope, he's been knocking on the door for a few mm. years now. Shows great form for his club side and then you've got yeah. Dean Henderson who's coming from and showing this huge potential if you were yeah. goalkeeper coach reviewer England manager who would you be picking to play in goal out of those options or is there someone else that maybe Southgate isn't even considering at the moment that he should be no I think you've I think you've kind of like named the main ones there up and coming um, lack of experience behind uh, Pickford there with an uh, international level certainly mm. not a Premier League level Pickford plays better for England than he does for his club. I think we've all seen that. Yeah. For his club, is under the spotlight week in, week out. It's not gone great for him uh, over the last season or two at club level, but I've never seen him perform poorly for England. Some players are like that. For me, you stay with Pickford because he's now got international experience. He looks comfortable. I, I don't remember him too often playing poorly for England. In fact, I've always commented that he's done really, really well. The other two putting massive pressure on. But if you're going off club form, you wouldn't pick him. No. You'd probably pick Pope. Henderson's not playing enough this season. You can't pick him. Uh, although he did fantastically well for Sheffield United. And look where they are now. It just shows how big a part he was that he played in the Sheffield United team. Do you think there's different Pope's demands on a goalkeeper now compared to when you were playing? Do you think there's... Because we, we, we often hear how important it is for certain managers to have keepers like Pep Guardiola. He wants a keeper who can play with his feet. And yeah. Pickford, to a certain extent, that's why he remains in the England team, because he's good with his feet. Do you think, is it kind of a different set of skills that's required to be number one compared to when you were coming through? Absolutely. You know, the, the, it got changed, I think. Uh, the back pass law, I think, changed in 1991, I think it was. Mm. Uh, or 92 the first in Premier I can't remember right, but it was that around then and the likes of Jim Layton at Manchester United they struggled because they weren't good with the feet now the game's changed and the people that are get, uh, the, the goalkeeper has to be able to play I have to be honest I was okay I was comfortable I played at centre-back till I was 15 so I was used to the ball at my feet so it's something I never really struggled with with the back pass in fact it was one of my, one of my main attributes was my distribution and I love to see it. And I, and I think Pickford's got excellent distribution. I'm not sure about Pope's distribution. I still think it <clears throat> needs working on. Henderson, yeah, good distribution. But I think Pickford out of the three is better. Uh, and it just goes to show with Manchester City, they're a fine example that your goalkeeper has to be good with his feet. Mm. So as before, you probably 75% of the game, you'd use your hands because you'd pick the ball up, you'd kick it long when I played. Now I would say 75% is with the ball of the feet because... 
the ball comes through to the goalkeeper, he doesn't pick it up, he passes it out first time. Mm. So very, very important uh, these days that you have to be on the same la- wavelength as well as your defenders that you're playing with, that, you know, which foot is his best, where is he weaker, where, when the ball's played back to him, where do I need to go as a defender to support him? And all that will be worked on in training w- with the goalkeepers. So goalkeepers are involved in more in training sessions now rather than just put to one side, like when I was playing, do your own thing and we'll shout you over to training when we need you. Just a, mm. just a standing goal and stop the ball from going in the goal, basically. They were the rules when I played. That's your job. Stop the ball from coming in the, going in the goal. Simple as that. But now there's so much more to it. But I think it's for the better. I think it's for the better that uh, goalkeepers can't pick the ball up. It, it's certainly quickened the game up anyway. Mark, absolutely pleasure to speak to you and to hear your stories about your time playing for Forest and other clubs as well. Um, thank you very much for joining us on Football Social Daily. Before you go, I know you're a massive fan on new music. Anyone that follows you on Twitter will know you're a massive fan of new yeah. music. So I'm going to ask you for one suggestion, one band that we should be keeping an eye on or an ear on at the moment. Well, I'm a massive Sheds fan and they're, they're playing uh, in, in Halifax shortly. It's mm. been moved a few times and they're getting backed up by a band called the Skylights uh, from Leeds. And yeah. I think they're fantastic. Uh, but there's loads of great young bands out there, new bands. I love them, I love them all and I, I don't really want to say one, but at the moment I've, I'm kind of liking them, a, a band called Shaded as well and Apollo Junction, Lord's Run. But I think the Skylights have got some really good stuff at the moment. Picking some fine northwest-based bands there as well, which yeah, <laughs> <A bit biased. laughs> uh, if you want more recommendations, you can follow Mark on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Big Norms, isn't it? At Big Norms, yeah. So go and find Mark on Twitter for more goalkeeper tips and also loads of great tips on new music. Mark, pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for your time on Football Social Daily. Thanks, Jim. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Nice to hear from Mark Crosley and some brilliant stories about Brian Clough. What a football manager he was. <laughs> His Brian Clough impressions unbelievable. It's great. It? It's really good. You can really, tell really he's been working on it, can't you? It's one of them impressions everyone's got one and they are varying. Some, some are really good at it and some are shocking, aren't Go they? Go on, who's yours then, Marley? Because I, I can't imagine you doing a voice. Oh, oh what? You're putting me on the spot here. Doing an impression <laughs> of Mark Crosley. <laughs> oh, doing an impression of no, Mark no, Crosley no. doing Brian Clough. He's, you, yeah, yeah. you said everyone's got one. I want to know who you... If everyone's got a, a voice they can do, who's yours? Oh, um, oh Jesus, you've, you've shocked me here. We'll come back Hang to on. you. We'll come I'm back trying to think of uh, the, one of one of Clough's most famous lines. Um, it doesn't have to be Brian Clough, or is Brian Clough the voice you can do? I might, I might as well, you know, for the sake of it, I might as well, for continuity, I might as well try and do the Brian Clough one, so here goes an absolutely nothing. When when the ball comes in the box, Mark, <laughs> you're like a jigsaw. You just fall to pieces. There you go. No, my, my favourite Brian oh. Clough is, I wouldn't say I was the best manager in the business, but I was in the top one. <laughs> <laughs> have you not seen The Damn United, by the way? I have. Absolutely brilliant film Good about film. Um, Brian Clough and his time when he left Nottingham Forest and went to Leeds. Brilliant film. Go and check it out. But let's finish off today's podcast speaking about being heralded as a hero at your your home club. Gareth Bale's return to Spurs has gone less than well. Real Madrid now saying over the weekend that he is not in their plans for next season after Gareth Bale saying that he wanted to get fit and go back to Real Madrid and that was his intention all the time, to get fit for the Euros, then return to Spain. So that's obviously not going to happen. As it's almost Easter as well, I thought we'd have a kind of resurrection theme, a coming back, playing for your club for the <laughs> second time. got any time Stone Roses queued up? I should have, shouldn't I? <laughs> I mean... It's one of those things, it's kind of the unwritten rule, is you should never go back to your former club where you were a hero because it never quite works the second time. I want to know whether there's any examples where it has really worked out because, now here's the example I was going to go with. I was going to pick Tony Cotty because he is a West Ham legend and he came through the youth ranks, made his debut for the Hammers, scored on his debut versus Spurs at the age of... I think it was 17 when he made his debut. Spent 212 games there, scored almost 100 goals in that time, helped the club to the third highest finish and left as a hero when he went to Everton for 2.2 million quid. Now, I remember his second spell at West Ham when he came back 
six years later, signed under Harry Redknapp. I remember him being a brilliant player at that point. But then you kind of look how it went for him when he was back at West Ham. And he was one of my favourite players at this period. Mm. He scored 13 goals in his first season back and he kind of helped save us from relegation. So that went all right. And then (laughs) the next season, um, I think we finished 10th, but he was kind of... He was pushed out to the side by Florin Radicuo and... Um, oh, he was great. What was his name? <laughs> Hugo Porferio as well. It's like Harry Redknapp <laughs> signed them. You're just making up names. They sound like Italian fashion brands. It was a period of like time where players. Harry Redknapp would go and look at players in the Portuguese third division <laughs> and just buy them for no reason. So, like, yeah. And he went off to play in Malaysia. So it didn't really work out. Even for a player that I remember as being a hero at West Ham, his second spell, he was a hero purely because of his first spell. So I want to—I was curious whether you, Niall, or you, Marley, could come up with any suggestions where players have come back and performed in their second spell almost as well as they did in their first spell, or at least it didn't turn out to be a disaster. Niall, you can go first on this one. I want to see if you've got anyone you can pull out the memory banks. Well, there's a few that I can think of in terms of players that have left a club and come back to a club, but I guess the criteria of them being legends when they first leave is slightly different to, you know, them coming back. For instance, I'm thinking Peter Crouch, who played for my team Portsmouth around the turn of the century, had a good season, I think ended up going to Aston Villa in the Premier League off Mm. the back of a good season with Pompey. And then maybe eight or nine years later, when we were kind of in the top eight of the Premier League table, he came back to us under Harry Redknapp scored loads of goals and then went off to Spurs. But he was never a legend after his first spell. It was just Peter Crouch had one good season. He was never kind of a legend at the club, if that makes sense. So I guess that doesn't really count. And then I was thinking about modern players. Is there anyone right under our noses that we could think of? I thought, well, Paul Pogba was at Manchester United, wasn't he? Mm. Um, never that's really an example got... of it not going well, isn't Well, it? <laughs> I don't know because he obviously left Manchester United having not really played any games and then ended up going to... Juventus and doing really really well and then coming back to Manchester United and there's no doubt even though some might say Paul Pogba's been underwhelming in this second spell he's been better in the second spell than he ever was in the first spell because he never really got a chance Mm. Um, and then there was one that I really did think of um, and that was well there was two there was Robbie Keane who was at Tottenham got sold to Liverpool and I think he went to Celtic on loan or something crazy like that Um, for 20 million he went to Liverpool and then Spurs bought him back for I think 12 million or something Mm. like that and he continued off in his normal vein when he went back to Tottenham so I'd say Robbie Keane would count as a Tottenham legend that's a fair shout um, having gone there gone to another club for a little bit and then coming back but also one that I remember quite vividly is the former Ballon d'Or winner undoubtedly one of the best players in the world on his day at the time Kaka who was playing for AC Milan um, was unbelievable for AC Milan then he got signed by Real Madrid had three or four seasons at Real Madrid, did really, really well. I think that might have been where he won the Ballon d'Or at Real Madrid, actually. Um, and then he went back to AC Milan after that um, and continued in, in his in his usual vein for, for AC Milan um, for a season before going to America, finishing his career in the MLS and then ending up playing in the uh, in the ends five-a-side in London somewhere <laughs> with some mm. bloke who told him to cut the ball back. Um, but still, yeah, I think Kaká is just one of those players where you think, well, I wonder if he didn't go to Real Madrid, how good you know, he could yeah. have been. So Maybe um, that's the criteria. Maybe it's about being, It's you, you need to be of that real top tier because you've got to do it. If you're going back to a club, you need to do it at the tail end of your career as well. But I think that's the kind of, if you think of the logic behind this debate, has anyone been a legend and come back and continue to be a legend? I think that if you're talking about someone who is unbelievable, I mean, if you're unbelievable at a top club, why would you ever leave that club? Mm. You'd just end up staying there, wouldn't you? If you were on the top in terms of winning and at the top of your game and stuff like that, it tends to be smaller clubs where you kind of get this sort of, I don't know, this concept, I suppose, of someone like Robbie Keane, I guess, who went to Liverpool, who are a bigger club than Tottenham, and then went back to Tottenham um, and did 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 exceptionally well again. So I guess when you are a, a top player at a big club, you don't really ever feel the need to move on no. uh, and to kind of try your hand at something new. Um so, yeah, I, I guess that's an interesting part of the debate. But I suppose Robbie Keane and Kaká would be the two kind of, for me, growing up watching football that would stick out. Carlos Tevez, you could maybe put into that mix, because that's a lovely story as well, him starting his career at Boca Juniors. And he's gone back there. Well, he went back there probably two, three years ago now, doesn't he? I don't think he's played a huge amount for them. I think, he, I think he's still Carlos still Tevez? at Boca Juniors. Yeah, he's still there. Yeah. But I think 
but I think he, he certainly when he first went, he was he was he was you deem it a success. Who would you put in this mix, Marley? Um, I was thinking thinking about uh, about local you know, Newcastle players, and I was thinking, of course you were, of course I was. <laughs> um, do you know what? My first one that came to my mind was Shearer coming back as manager, but that didn't go well. Um, and the second one was uh, was John Carver who came back as a manager and that didn't go well either. Um, so you mean the best coach in the, the best Premier coach League, in the yeah, best coach in the league. <laughs> um, but then I settled on. Uh, I was trying to think of a player who came back as a player. Um, so I finally settled on Peter Beardsley, um, who played for Newcastle. I think it was eighty seven. Um, he first left like eighty three to eighty seven. He was there, um, and then he came back in ninety three to ninety seven. And pretty much did the exact same numbers um, that he did in the in his first spell. So I got him on Wikipedia. I haven't just got this in, in the front of my head, but he got 147 appearances in the league uh, between 83 and 87. Scored 61 goals. Then he went to Liverpool, then to Everton, and then came back to Newcastle and scored uh, scored 47 in 129. Um, and he was widely regarded as probably one of the best players in England at the time. Um, and yeah, very, uh, very, very good player. One of the best players in Newcastle's history. I remember growing up watching him a little bit um, between, you know, when I was very, very young, when I was first getting into football and he was very, very, just clearly the best player um, in that team and he, he complimented uh, Alan Shearer very, very well. Um, played for England, did everything else and then he's been at a coach, he's been, he's gone into coaching at Newcastle for the last few years and then it's all gone a bit wrong in in recent years with mm. some of his views on certain things but doesn't take away from what a what a quality player he was and had two very very good spells at at uh, Newcastle which was great because you, as you know as we've been saying in this this little piece we don't see too many players do what they did the first time it tends to be a case of don't go back because it never goes as well um and there's been countless players who've done that at Newcastle over the years but Peter Beardsley wasn't one of them. Very good. Good shout, that one. I was wondering, like, I was, Henri as well, what was his spell like at Arsenal? I yeah, remember him going back. I remember him coming back, was it 2010, something like that? Mm. He was at, I think he was at Barcelona, then yeah. New York Red Bulls, and then he came back and scored, I On think loan the famous goal, yeah, the famous goal he scored was in the FA Cup against Leeds, was it, I think? I'm not 100% sure, but he scored a classic Henri goal upon his return. I remember it in the Emirates, the way he was kind of running towards the touchline with his arms out towards Arsene Wenger. It was just a classic Henri finish where he took the ball in his stride and curled it around the goalkeeper like with the inside of his foot. You just knew exactly what he was going to do. Mm. Far corner. Henri just had that knack of finishing the ball into the far corner that even though every goalkeeper knew exactly what he was going to do, he was just so good at it and so accurate at putting the ball into the far stick that, um, that keepers could never save it. But I remember that. I don't think it was an explosive second spell. Um... I guess it was effective. He kind of got a magical moment out of it. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be impossible for him, for him to have ever topped that first spell. But still, yeah, he did all right, I think. I'll tell you what, we're going to continue this conversation on Twitter. You can find us at The Sports Social if you're on Twitter because no one knows their club like you guys will know your own clubs. Mm-hmm. So if you can remember a good example of a former player going back and absolutely smashing it in their second spell and get in touch at the sports social you can find us there but that is it for today's podcast football social daily done for another day we'll be back again tomorrow with another wrap of all the latest premier league action and we'll see you then football social daily from sports social find us on twitter at the sports social Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.